Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today in studio is Earl Erskine. We're going to be finishing up our conversation with Earl. He's a former LDS bishop who has come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and written a book titled Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church, A Cracked Foundation, A Surprising Discovery, and A Former Bishop's Pursuit of Truth. Welcome back to the show, Earl. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. Hey, before we begin, I just wanted to say to you and Eric, what your programs meant to me over the years in informing the LDS, I think you've done such a great job. I admire your work and your, your dedication, your sacrifice to do this. I know you've moved here to Salt Lake to be even more effective, so I appreciate the time you've spent and the sacrifice to be here. Well, I'm sure your family's obviously been supportive. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but, I thank you for that kind comment, yeah, Earl. I, I really do. I, I appreciate that. Let me just say, in yesterday's show, you told a story, and you prefaced it by saying, this might be TMI, TMI too much information. Yeah. But you were talking about how you were getting out of the shower one day, and I guess your normal routine was to put on the temple garments. Yeah. And we didn't really explain that. But since we were talking also about being sensitive to certain aspects of the LDS faith, certainly the temple garments would be one of those areas. Yeah, the whole area of the temple and, and the temple garments and what happens in the temple, they talk about it being... Not secret, but sacred. And, right. Yeah. And, and we know it's both. Right. I, I think if we're going to be fair, let's just be fair. It's <laughs> both sacred and it is secret. In fact, the early That's temple true. ceremony used the word secret. They changed that in, what, 1990? Well, there was a major change in 1990. They took away the, the methods of death and some of the other things Correct. that were... Uh, that I went through back in 1965 when I had gone on my mission to Denmark. Mm-hmm. There have been a number of changes, and I probably hadn't gone through enough to really pay attention to all the little fine tunings, but uh, by well, 1990, I was aware of the changes. Sure. Well, well, let's talk about that. The sacred temple garment. How would you explain that to our listeners that are not familiar with that? The first time you go through the temple, it's for yourself. By then, you've gone through what they call an initiatory process. You've already been baptized, as I was already a priesthood holder, an elder in the Melchizedek priesthood. And so you go through for yourself an endowment. The next time you go through, it's for someone else. And that's what they call doing temple work. For most active Mormons, what they mean is they're going through the temple for someone else, sometimes family. You can put in your own family names. Otherwise, it's just some name that's given to you. The first time you go through is when you're told about the garment. Mm. It's placed on you and you're told to wear it for the rest of your life. Members have kind of played around with that. (laughs) I actually used to run marathons, and so I would not wear my garments during that time. But as soon as I got home, took my shower, I threw my garments back on. But there is a sensitivity to it, and it's supposed to be something of a protection. And so it's something that Latter-day Saints certainly value tremendously, and they're very respectful of their garment. And my mentor was Arthur Budvarsson, and Art, 
I remember counseling me when I was first studying all this was the temple and anything having to do with the temple is not something that you want to bring up in a conversation. Be careful. Huh? Yeah, because you're going to, it's, it's kind of like going after Joseph Smith in the yeah. first encounter with a Latter-day Saint. It's a good right. way of shutting down the conversation. And of course, we want to keep the conversation going sure. as long as we can. But I think it's something that Christians at least should have somewhat of an understanding. Because yeah, I agree. the temple ceremony, the endowment ceremony, like Mormonism itself, is described by Latter-day Saints and the Church as being something that has been restored after it had been lost for a long period of time. This is talking about the great apostasy, and this is how a lot of these truths somehow disappeared, and it was important that Joseph yeah. Smith would bring all this stuff back. But to say that the temple endowment is a restoration is certainly not a true statement. And I want to read something from your book, because you talk about some of the differences that are in the temple. And then at the bottom of page 58, you say, given these differences, it seems more likely LDS temples are not a restoration of anything ancient but rather a recent invention. Despite these known differences, Russell M. Nelson perpetuates the false insinuation that the purpose of LDS temples is somehow connected to the ancient Jewish temple. And of course, Russell M. Nelson, the 17th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you cite him where he said, Consider the great mercy and fairness of God, who before the foundation of the world provided a way to give temple blessings to those who died without a knowledge of the gospel. These sacred temple rites are ancient. To me, that antiquity is thrilling and another evidence of their authenticity. <laughs> Your comment, Earl. Well, what struck me so much about that is, of course, what I now understand about the temple. But I also looked at his footnotes, which was interesting. He footnotes, uh, I think, Exodus 28, 29, and Leviticus somewhere. And I read those passages. They have nothing to do with his statement, and they certainly, the, the LDS Church temple, or temple today does not represent what was uh, the ancient temple. I might also mention it's mentioned a couple of times in the book, but Jesus and Peter and Paul were never allowed in the temple. It was only Levite priests that were actually allowed in the temple. So I hear people say, well, Jesus went to the temple. Well, he went to the outer court. Right. He went to somewhere, but he didn't go in the temple. Right. Women were not allowed in the temple. So for Joseph Smith to come along with a marriage for time and all eternity and bind families together, I've said in the book that it would have been better if Joseph Smith had just come up with a new revelation and said, okay, this is what the Lord wants now as a temple, because we're not going to restore the old one, because that would include animal sacrifices and washings and a Levite priest going behind the veil, which was torn at Jesus's crucifixion. Anyway, I wanted to point out, too, that this is what I consider a fatal flaw. You know, a little hole in the Titanic, it's yeah. sunk. The fatal flaw aspect of each one of these things that I cover in the book really means for me that if they really were our faults, if there is a problem with them, then the, a member of the church or certainly anyone should look at these objectively and realize that this is a, a fatal flaw in the doctrine. 
you bring <laughs> up the fact that only the Levitical priests were allowed to go inside the temple. And, and that always struck me when I was studying Mormonism for the first time, when I started looking into what Latter-day Saints do in the temple and the purpose for doing the things that they do, it became very apparent that this was, in fact, as you say, was not a restoration no, it's a at all. Current. But then Mormonism itself is not a restoration. I, I personally believe that one of the bigger lies that the LDS Church tells people is that it is a restored church with a restored gospel, which of course implies that somewhere the early church believed what Latter-day Saints believe now. Yes. And that is not true, and it's not that difficult to prove it. And that's one of the reasons I think I mentioned it earlier in the week, but reading the Red Letter Bible and and then the words of Jesus and then reading Paul later, what they did talk about, grace and other things, and what they didn't talk about. Jesus never talked about temple marriage and being married for time in all eternity and the word of wisdom and that kind of stuff. You would think he would if it's that important. If it was that important, you'd expect Jesus to at least mention it. You would think also the Melchizedek priesthood. No mention of that, except in the book of Hebrews. So Jesus never talks about it. There's no specific mention that any of the disciples had this alleged priesthood. But on page 79 of your book, you talk about how the temple experience didn't draw you closer to Jesus. And and I, I, I mention that because recently there's been talk about how the temple does exactly that, that it's supposed to bring you closer to Christ. Why would you say that, for your experience, it didn't really do that? I might mention, as I answer this question, is that I'm under under the impression that the church has again changed, we're talking, uh, what, May now of 2023, that the church has now again changed the, the endowment ceremony and has added Jesus more into their ceremony. So I don't think I'm alone in the thinking there. When I first went through the temple, I was not sensing Jesus as the important part of this. It was what I was getting done. I was getting a new name and getting my handshakes and getting the things that I needed to do to pass by the angels so that I could get into the celestial kingdom. It wasn't about Jesus. He was just an errand boy in there. Elohim tells him to do something. He goes and does it, and he comes back and reports and all that. Not a very significant, important part of the temple ceremony. Do you think maybe if they keep repeating it long enough, people just tend to start believing it? It's just like any other deception. Uh, If you just say it long enough and people don't verify what they're hearing, they just naturally assume that these things are true. I found that in many conversations that I've had with Latter-day Saints. I said, well, where did you get that? They just know it to be true, but they don't know why. And I think there's a lesson for us as Christians that we can learn from that. We should not be like that. (laughs) We should study and show ourselves to be approved. We should be studious workers in the faith. I I think that's a disadvantage that sometimes Latter-day Saints have because they know what it is, but they don't know why. That's kind of that shallow foundation that we talk about, and and the church is built on kind of a shallow foundation, and it's easily cracked, unfortunately, in my mind, once you start studying and analyzing and being objective about what you're looking at. Do you think there's a a caste system in Mormonism between the temple Mormon and the non-temple Mormon? That's that's a good point. There's a certain guilt or embarrassment if you say, well, my daughter's getting married next week. The first question would be (laughs) true blue Mormon is, 
well, are you getting married in the temple? Well, no, um, and that probably indicates that they've either had premarital sex or there's been other little problems, and they're, well, they're going to get married in a year in the temple. You know, they'll get their grace period there for, and then come back in a year and get married in the temple. Yeah, it's a little embarrassment. There's a lot of pride. All of my children are were temple worthy. That's a thing that people love to say if they can say it. And so there's there's a bit of pride and a little uh, guilt if you're not having your whole family live up to the standards. When you were a bishop, did you come across some of the examples where, let's say, uh, a young couple wants to be married in the temple, but of course they have non-member family members, and this mm. was a bit awkward because yeah. they're not allowed at, at that time. They've changed it now to where they yeah. can get, they can do that ceremony and then do the temple ceremony later on so the family can be a part right. of it. But did you ever experience some real negative responses from non To be honest, families? I think everybody kind of knows that going in. Any any of the young people that would be thinking about getting married, they're aware that you know they're non-member or inactive family members are going to have to sit in the hallway and wait for the pictures to be taken outside the temple. We've been talking to Earl Erskine. He's the author of Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church. If you want to get a copy of this, you can go to www.mscbc.org, or you can get it on Amazon. Earl, I thank you for coming in. This Thanks, a, Bill. Uh, I mean, I, I have such love for the, the LDS people, and I just would love to see them open their eyes and see what Christianity has to offer. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.